0: personally and welcome to the Misunderstood Lawyer, a show where we listen to the stories of real attorneys and hopefully provide you with some useful insights into the real world of practicing law that might help you on the road to becoming yet another misunderstood lawyer. Everybody. I'm here with Regina Munster, who is an attorney handling medical malpractice claims in New York City for over 10 years. Thank you, Regina, for taking the time
1: to chat with me today. Thank you for inviting me to do this. I grew up in the city, right? I grew up on Long Island. Oh, on Long Island. Okay, where Long Island? I grew up in a town called Manhasset which okay. is in Nassau County on the sort of the north portion of north and west portion of Nassau County. Okay. And now I know your mom was an attorney. Yes. But what was your what was your dad? My father was an accountant. The law runs through my mother's family heavily. My grandfather really? was a Supreme Court judge in Queens on the criminal bench for 32 years and he was a representative and a senator for the state of new york before he took those positions wow so know. it was a lifelong love affair with the state of new york god bless him and he only came off the bench when he was forced to retire then mm-hmm. in her family my mother is one of four she was the last one to go to law school my two uncles are both lawyers uh, and then she went back after she had the three of us so she went to Effectively night school and then day school, and was uh, trying to balance that with being a mom at home, which was an interesting juggle. And graduated from St. John's in 1980. Wow. Yeah. So there weren't so many women in her class, and she certainly was older because she graduated, and she was 40.
0: So if you had that history of you know of the lawyers in your family, did you feel any pressure in high school to become a lawyer, or was it did you have
1: the opposite, which was don't do it? I was, I think, not so influenced to go in that direction simply because my mother was a lawyer and because there was so much in her family my sister did go my sister is also a lawyer my brother did not although he says he felt the pressure and did take the lsats i was in a completely different camp i'd always loved science i thought that was going to be my path i thought i would be in medical school and that was my real focus so i never Received any pressure from my parents to explore the law. They always thought, as I did for a long time, that it would be medicine. And I did become a paramedic, much to my mother's dismay after I graduated from college. My father understood it more, I think, because he grew up with very little in the projects in New York. So when he saw me giving back to the community, he recognized that. My mother, on the other hand, hated the fact that I had become a paramedic. But she, she didn't understand why I would want that job after I had my undergraduate degree. She also had no interest in science or medicine of any kind. She would laugh at me when I would be studying for things. She walked into my room one day. After college, I needed to take physics so I could take the MCAT. She walked in and said, can I help you? Ha <laughs> and walked out just like that. She had no interest. She, she did not it just, just didn't interest her. So any science conversation I had of any kind was held with my father. And he and I would always talk about science and medicine. When I became a parent, paramedic when I worked in the hospital and then out in the street, he completely understood it. He also saw it as something that I felt I needed to do to get back, because I had felt like my father had lived the American dream. He had nothing, and he put us in a beautiful place. I grew up in a very good way. I felt like I had to give that back, and I enjoyed that. That was a really good way for me to do what I loved and to explore whether or not I belonged in medicine, and I figured out I did not. But
0: What, to- what was, what when you, when you found out that you didn't, what, what was the precipitating event?
1: I don't know if there was one thing, Mm -hmm. but I'd been a medic for almost a decade. I enjoyed the advocacy portion, that I liked being able to work with people, advocate for them, protect them, do what I needed to do, and that seemed to be the right path. Because I had also spent some time teaching. I was a high school biology teacher for about two years in between there, so I was able to do the paramedic work per diem and work full-time as a teacher. So I really did have a zigzag path, if you will. So I taught, I was a paramedic, and eventually I took that interest in advocacy and pushed it on into law.
0: Okay, and so at what point did you decide to go to law school and how happy did that make your mom? (laughs) That's so funny. Am
1: I supposed to Object as a pomp- compound question, right like there. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I decided in, at 30 that I was going to go back to law school, and my mother was over the moon. <laughs> I got into law school, and I started at Fordham Law in the night program in August of 2001. I was still working as a paramedic. Now, why did you choose the night program? I knew I had to work. I was on my own. I was living on my own. I've been living on my own since I was 25, and to do that, to go to law school and to be able to manage my expenses, I had to work. And there was no way I can manage it working as a paramedic and go to the day program.
0: What did you think about law school at night? Did it still take you three years or did it take you a longer period of time or did you think that it allowed you to, to focus more on a subject rather than you know the, the day program, which throws you in and you just have to do them all at the same time and it's
1: a little overwhelming. Oh, overwhelming? Every person has a different experience. Every person needs it a different way. I was able to finish in three years, to your question, because I transferred from the night school to the day school after my first full year. But I had to go through okay. classes in the summer. Okay. So I went through the night school program, and that summer I, I was in school, and then I switched to the day program. I needed to do it that way because I needed to work. And working as a paramedic, I worked in two capacities. As a traditional 911 paramedic, where you pick up the phone, call nine one one in the city limits and somebody arrives. But I also worked high-risk transport. And my schedule was based upon the hospital out of which I worked. I didn't work for the fire department. I worked for North Shore Hospital. I needed that time to get them to help adjust to my school schedule. And we had to figure out what worked. So I worked every Saturday for three years because it was the only constant day I could work. When I started, I take it back, when I started my first year, I worked the overnight, which was was horrific Sunday into Monday morning and then I would go to sleep and then I'd go to school Monday night and then I worked Tuesday 8 to 4 and then I went to night school and then I had the rest of the week off. I think there are certain people who can come in and get the concepts flat out. I do remember another day when I picked up the phone and called my mother and said, Mom, what in God's name is promissory estoppel? She laughed and hung up and then she called me back. <laughs> she did. Flat out laughed and hung up. She couldn't stop laughing. She had to call me back after she stopped laughing. That's my point. If you yeah. get a good teacher who can say to you, I mean, put this in regular language, in English, not in the vernacular or in any of the legalese that confuses people, then you're in great shape. And yeah, it took, I, I didn't have all of them. I had yeah, some. I probably
0: had one that was able to put it into the normal speaking language. And what no one ever tells you in law school is that you're you are learning all this legalese. You're learning all this superfluous language that you're where two fours and here two fours. And clients don't want that 10 letter word that they have to go Google to see what it means. They want something in simple plain English. They can read, Mm -hmm. understand, and enact whatever advice that you're giving, no matter what the subject is. I I have yet to encounter any client that that appreciated or wanted that ridiculous language that we had to put up with
1: in law school. But that's the intersection of academia and practice. I had a couple, mostly the trial advocacy people, who were hands down phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The people who were practicing, the people who came in to talk about how to do the everyday trial. What do you do to influence somebody? How do you question? somebody? How do you take a deposition? How do you take someone on the stand and make sure you get what you need from them. I still have my initial trial advocacy professor. She was probably in her 60s at the time, and she said something I use every time I prep a witness. She said to the entire class, I'm gonna teach you about questions and answers. And she turned to someone and said, do you have the time? And he said, yes, it's, and she banged her hand on the desk and said, I asked you if you had the time. Your answer is yes or no. I have to ask you the next question, wait for it. And every witness I prep, I say the same thing. Answer only the question in front of you. Here's the example. And if they don't listen, i bang the desk. So you said you worked through summers and in order to graduate on time, did you have a job when you graduated law school or not? No, I didn't, okay. but I got a job shortly thereafter. I The medicine background I had helped, I hadn't gotten the straight A's to get any of the big jobs. If I'd been able to do it over and do better, I certainly would recommend people to do everything they can to try and get that job just so you can really test out the waters and see if you like it. I didn't have that opportunity because I had to work through the first summer I didn't have to work the second summer. I had an internship, but not at a big firm. And I'd say by... The bar was July, I had a job starting in August. Oh, okay. I found a job. Not not too long after. So oh, well that's a couple months. That's pretty good. Yeah. Like after the before before you were admitted, you had a I was. lined up. I was working from August on. I got admitted in January. So when you started off, what area did you practice in? Medical malpractice mm-hmm. defense. Okay. Always was going to be the area I chose because I had spent a decade working alongside physicians and nurses and other paramedics and EMTs in the hospital and then in the street. Mm-hmm. I know that there is not a direct connection, but there is a causal link between whether we protect them and what we spend in the cost of healthcare. care. It's a roundabout way to get to it, but part of it has to do with the insurance they carry, how much they have to charge, how that cost gets passed to the patient. What if we didn't protect them? No one would be there to take care of our family members. No one would be there to take care of us, and if I can protect them, maybe I in some small way can help keep health care costs down.
0: So you're a working mother. How do you juggle your responsibilities between a mom and being a practicing attorney and... You know, in a litigator.
1: When I was in high school, I found a poem that was called Boundaries, and I rewrote it after what I cut out of that Teeny Bop magazine. I can't remember which one it was. It was very simple. It said, you always have boundaries. You let someone else choose them and their restrictions. You choose them yourself and their principles. And every time I feel like something's flooding over into my life, I reset my boundaries. It is difficult, especially when you're coming up to the practice of law, because you are dealing with such personalities and you are often subject to someone who's been in the practice longer and who may carried over that socratic method out of law school and into their practice and are not exactly kind yes but with that noted, there's always a way to set your boundary. There's always a way to try and reestablish them. And when you're younger, they're more flexible. Before you have a family, before you're married, before there are other requirements of your time, if you want to stay till seven or eight or nine, which I know we've all done, maybe even midnight. I know there are nights that we did that too. If you want to do that and you can do that and you're being required to do that, fine. But as you move along, you have to reevaluate how that fits in your life and where you want it. I will say that's not a very structured answer to your question because the boundaries have to be set by the person who needs them set or reset. And I need to reset them all the time. In conjunction with that, when I had a kid, you gotta find your village. Go find your village. I have no family in the city. I have no one here to help us. It's me and my husband and our kid. The YMCA was my village. And from the YMCA, I made great friends, great people I met who helped all the time. We helped them help pick up, do that, do this. And eventually we found a babysitter or. but it's also costly so you find your village and use them because they will help you then also figure out how you can do what you can do at home and what you can do at home because you shouldn't have to stay at your desk unless absolutely necessary and in this digital realm so much can be done at home that's also where you have to redefine your boundaries you have to decide what you're willing to do you don't need that flooding over into your life if you have somebody who constantly contacts you at 8 o'clock at night and you can only get back to them the next morning then you have to have a stock response I promise I'll address this tomorrow in the morning something that defines the boundary so that's how I found the way to juggle it and that's separate and apart from dealing with specific personalities that try and bust in on your boundaries, which will happen all the time in this practice. So,
0: And on top of that you've started this
1: wonderful project called Power of Flowers. Yes, Power of the Flowers. I have a huge there's a huge spot in my heart for advocacy for women. I am the child of an incredibly strong woman who had she was a force of nature. She (laughs) passed away almost 12 years ago and it's as if she still sits on my shoulder every day. She was not warm and fuzzy, but my mother (laughs) loved me. She was the one who would let You have it if you didn't do the right thing. You went to her to get a hug and you got a slap of the head. And I don't mean that literally, but figuratively, she would say to me, get your big girl pants on and get back in there. And don't you ever let that happen again. She loved me. If I needed a hug at the end after all of that beating, (laughs) I got one. But I also remember her saying to me right before she passed away, which was in 2008, she'd always said she thought that the internet was really changing the face of things, which we can now say is absolutely true. She thought the concept of a blog was fascinating. And that's part of the reason I started this. I also have had the great opportunity to be born of um, a man and a woman who were my biggest advocates. So nothing stopped me. The only thing that ever stopped me was me. And I've met so many women in every aspect of my life, in every role in my life, who belong somewhere else because they're so much smarter than the job they're in. I just saw a need. I wanted to let people know nothing can stop you. It's up to you. We all encounter the same challenges under a different circumstance. We all feel the same way at some point under different circumstances. And we should all help each other because we're so much better when we do. So Power of the Flowers was born of that. There's a blog. There are stories about women. What's the blog's website? It's called poweroftheflowers.com. If you write it out, that's where you find it. And I just try and give women something to think about, talk about, something. Information that might help them get to the next step. A story about a woman who, a woman or women, because I do try and write a little about women in history and what they went through, to give us an understanding that we're not the only ones who go through these things. And it is getting better. There are more women out there doing every job. My, just going back for a minute to the history of the law, I told you that my mother's father, my grandfather and my two uncles were lawyers. My grandfather, Peter T, the one Peter Thomas Mm -hmm. Farrell, who was the Supreme Court judge, his brother was also an attorney. His brother's daughter, so my mother's first cousin, my Aunt Mary Alice, she's probably my second cousin, I never do that properly. Ever. Went to law school in 1953 at Fordham. She was one of three women in her class. That's amazing. She told me stories that made me shiver and want to throw up with the way the men treated her in the class. I have a copy of her acceptance letter that said all Fordham men are welcome to the hallowed halls. You can imagine how much has changed since then. So we've really seen dramatic changes over our lifetimes and I know my mother saw it in her lifetime and Mary Alice saw it in her lifetime and she only passed away last year. She gone into Fordham, Columbia, and NYU. And I asked her why she went to Fordham. And she said to me in her hospital bed, because Uncle Pete, my grandfather, went to Fordham. Okay. She would have been a colleague of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She I think she would have been ahead of Ruth Bader Ginsburg had she gone to either NYU or Columbia, because Ruth started at Columbia and NYU and transferred to Columbia. Since so she went to Fordham. These women before us have done so much to help us get to where we are. Power of the Flowers came to be so that I could help the women behind us and with us continue on because nothing should stop so what what can people do just email you write to you and say this is my question what should I do or if they're interested if they want to even have a dialogue I'm delighted there's always a way to email me you may just want to go and take a look at the blog you may want to look there are pages with resources education health and wellness uh, something different different pages that just have lists of resources so if you're looking for a way to pay for school if you're looking for the next thing that you can do in your life if you're looking for some health and wellness resource I'm trying to cache them although that takes a little bit of time I think they need to be updated to be honest but yes if anybody wants to reach out I'd be delighted to chat with anyone but if they also just want to read maybe they'll realize we're all in the same position We're all trying to get to the next step, but we can help each other. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me
0: today. Please take a moment to support us by rating us five stars in the Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We would love to hear from you. Send us your comments to themisunderstoodlawyer at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.